Hey everyone, this is Chris and Sandy Benton with The Chris and Sandy Show, where we get up close and personal with some amazing guests throughout the entertainment industry. And today, like I say on every episode, we've got a great show for you. We've got Monty Moran, come on. He's the former CEO of Chipotle, and we, he's written some a book, and he's going to be on PBS. So he did a miniseries there, and we're definitely yeah. excited to talk about, about his journey, basically, so to speak. Um, he's got a crazy story, and I think you're going to enjoy it. So, Monty, welcome to the show. Yes, welcome. Thank you very much, Chris and Sandy. It's a <laughs> pleasure to be here with you. <laughs> well, we definitely appreciate that. So I always like to start the show out the same right now because everybody's in the same boat for once, you know, mm -hmm. uh, with the whole true. COVID stuff. Um, so how has COVID affected you, and what have you done to kind of maneuver through this crazy phase? Well, you know, it's. Uh, I, I guess I've been blessed so far that I haven't uh, been ill or anything. I haven't even had a cold since it all came around. That's nice. Um, you know, my, I uh, recently bought a house for my mother and moved her in right across the street about, I don't know, seven, eight months, nine months ago. Um, and so it's nice to have her closer. I can take care of her because she's in a more vulnerable age and, and uh, so forth. But, you know, I, I guess my kids, uh, but my two boys, I've got three kids, two boys and a girl. My two boys, uh, came, we're, we're in school out in San Diego when the whole thing happened at uh, San Diego State University. My daughter is in high school here. Um, but uh, all of a sudden, their school, you know, sort of went away or went online. And so they mm -hmm. were able to, so they all came home. And so all of a sudden, I, you know, I, I was re dangerously close to being an empty nester because my boys are <laughs> out in college. And then, and then my daughter, uh, you know, she's here, she's 16. So she's here yet a couple more years before she, she'll most likely go to college. But um, you know, so all of a sudden the boys came back. And so all of a sudden we had this huge expanse of family time that we didn't expect. And it was oh, really wow. nice. It was actually, yeah, it was actually really nice. And I think, um, it's happened to a lot of people where all of a sudden they spent, you know, months and months and months with their parents or with their kids that they didn't expect and, uh, maybe reacquainted in a way and reacquainted, a at, you know, reacquainted at an age where people usually don't reacquaint, right. When your kids are, my kids are 21 and 23, my boys. And, and so, you know, they're at that age where they're kind of spreading their wings and doing their own thing. And, and uh, I wouldn't have seen anywhere near as much of them. So that's one blessing, I suppose, is that the whole virus has brought us all closer in a way, physically. And, um, and also, um, I've been cooking a lot, you know, and I love oh, wow. cooking, you know, and so I've been, I've made tons and tons of dinners and, uh, you know, breakfast, lunches, but mostly big dinners. And, uh, you know, we got, had family over at these dinners and a couple of their friends. There was a group that we kind of stayed hanging out with through the whole thing. Uh, you know, sort of a, a large, a larger, like a, a larger group of people who we just hung out with and we knew that they were all not ill and all that stuff. So, and, you know, been doing some writing and so forth, but, uh, you know, really I've, I've been using it as an opportunity to allow myself in some respects to, you know, slow down, do a bit more writing, um, you know, maybe take a few more walks and hikes and stuff. And, uh, but I do miss being out. I used to, I do miss going out to dinner and so forth more often. <laughs> and, you know, um, with us, like I was telling you before the show, you know, we launched January 2020 mm -hmm. with this show. Yeah. And our original plan was like 100 interviews our first year. We thought if we could do that, we'd be a great base to build on. For sure. And then, when, yeah, and then COVID happens. And I told Sandy, you know what? this could be our year to shine. You know, there's going to be people that would probably come on the show that normally wouldn't of a new show. Yeah. So you know what? We just need to go all out and do whatever we can and give that platform to people to talk. And because of that, we've done over 300 shows last year. It's incredible. I mean, it's a, a, a show every day. Well, right now, to be honest, you know, you're our sixth show today. Oh, yes. come on. This oh come on! Well, so, now this ain't normal. I mean, this right, now, are you, now are you guys still wanting to do this? Or are you sick of this for today? <laughs> we, we want to. We still love it. You know, yeah. Okay. But, but I mean, but see, the first um, show that we did, it was four interviews for CRS, which is yes. a country radio seminar for Nashville. Well, they did I it see. virtually this year. So even oh. though we're not in Nashville, we're able to participate. Yeah. So four of the interviews were from that. Then we had a comedian come on at two o'clock and now you're so again, it's been really a crazy venture today. And, you know, well, you see, you me, still seem to have a lot of energy left. So that's good. Good on you. <laughs> well, you can ask. Yeah. Yeah, I never would. Have. Always Maybe around 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night, I'll yes. start winding down. But before that, I stay wired. Chris, I get I get accused of the same thing. I've been accused of it my whole life. And I suppose I stand guilty. But uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing. Let's talk a little bit about how 
Chipotle happen for you? That's yeah, you know, that's yeah. Well, well, you know, so I didn't start Chipotle, but a guy named Steve Ells did. Um, mm -hmm. but, I, but I was a lawyer working out. Uh, but I knew him. Uh, I knew I knew Steve in high school, and then I knew him in college uh, a little bit better, even because a mutual friend. Well, we were all broke in college, of course, and I was. Oh, I always. I've had. I always. Oh, not only have I always had a lot of energy, I've always had a huge appetite, and so. <laughs> I mean, I eat so much and uh, I always had a really high metabolism. So, which is good in that I stay yeah. thin, but bad in that I, when you're broke, it's hard to satisfy yourself. So anyway, so in college, he, uh, Steve Ells was a great, great cook. And so I'd heard through this mutual friend, hey, you should come to this dinner party at this guy's house. And I'm like, yes, you know, for sure. Sign me up. <laughs> and, uh, and so I went to this dinner party at his house and I noticed that this guy wasn't just your normal cook. He was a real pro. You know I mean? He, wow. Fantastic, wow. fantastic chef. I mean, just the detail and he was making, I'll never forget the first night I went over there. Uh, he made a, a big, beautiful meal, but he was, when I walked in, he was making a, a dressing for, um, for the, uh, for a Caesar salad he was making at that point. So, and he was putting the anchovies and he was making the emulsification, uh, you know, and then mm -hmm. putting the anchovies in and making the Caesar dressing. I was like, Whoa, this guy's really into it. And he was very focused and the food was outrageously good. So I, you know, I decided, Oh, I'm never going to say no to one of these dinner parties, you know, and but instead, <laughs> but instead of just going to the dinner parties, I started, um, like, I really wanted to learn from him, you know, how to cook better. Mm -hmm. and, he, yeah. and he taught me, and he taught me so much. So, Anyway, so, you know, that's how I made Steve's acquaintance. And then, you know, I, I became a lawyer. Uh, I went to Pepperdine University out in Malibu, California, became a lawyer and was practicing law in downtown Los Angeles. And during that time, occasionally, I'd, you know, keep in touch with Steve. And he was starting to contemplate the idea of starting a, a, a burrito restaurant. What he really wanted, that's, but that's not what he really wanted to do. What he really wanted to do is he wanted to start a sit down you know, fine dining restaurant, you know, oh, white, wow. table, white okay. tablecloth. That's, that's what he really wanted to do. Um, but he knew that the economics of that were very difficult. So he thought, well, maybe I'll, and, and at that time he was working at a really famous restaurant in San Francisco called Stars uh, under a very famous chef named Jeremiah Tower. And Jeremiah Tower had come from Chez Panisse with Alice Waters, you know, a very famous restaurant in San Francisco, this kind of new movement uh, of, you know, sort of sustainability, local ingredients, um, very ingredient driven, like getting the very best ingredients and being quite simple with your preparation of those ingredients. And so that's where, you know, Steve was working at this really hot restaurant, but in between, uh, you know, fancy meals at his, uh, at this restaurant he was working at, he would go to these burrito joints in the mission district of San Francisco, where they had these giant burritos and they'd fill them full of tons of ingredients. And he envisioned, well, what if I use my new cooking skills, but, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and, and, but make these big giant burritos, you know, in a special way. And so he came back to Denver and decided to do that. And so wow. one night, one night yeah. when he, he invited us all over to his house, said, Hey, I want you all to come over. It was me and my dad, who was also a friend of Steve and a couple other people said, once you come over, I want to, I want to, I'm going to have a dinner party, but it's gonna be a different kind of dinner party tonight. I was like, yeah, sure. What can I bring? You know, should I bring a wine or beer? And, and, and he's like, well, we're going to have burritos tonight. And, I, and I'm not going to lie to you. I was, I was disappointed. You know, I love burritos. I love burritos, but this guy's such a good cook. I figured, you know, I can get a burrito anywhere. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. <laughs> but anyway. And so um, we uh, went over to his house, and uh, and he was and he prepared the burrito that ended up being the Chipotle burrito. And he said, "Hey, wow. start this new restaurant." Wow. And it was so good. I mean, it was so good that, like I say, you felt guilty swallowing it. You know, because it went away. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, and, and these burritos were awesome. And so. Uh, you know, and so he started this burrito chain. And meanwhile, I was working, uh, he came back to Denver and I was working at a law firm in Denver. And he asked me to, Hey, would you come on board and help me? And would you help me with real estate leases? I said, yes. And he said, would you help me you know, with this? Yes. With that? Yes. With this? Yeah. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll try to help any way I can. And, and so I didn't make much money from it because I was doing these real estate leases for a flat fee of $1,200 and they took about a hundred hours each. So it was like, you know, I wasn't making wow. much money. And, uh, yeah. but, uh, but I ended up really being able to help out the company and became more and more entrenched in the company. And eventually he asked me to do more and more and more. And eventually he said, Hey, wow. you know, um, you know, eventually actually he used to come over to my law firm to say hi and sit down or go over a lease or whatever. And when he came in, he'd say, God, I love the way your law firm, the culture here is great. Like, man, the people are working hard, but they're excited. They're upbeat. Like, how did you do this? Wow. And, I said, and I said, well, well, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, just, you know, hire good people. And he's like, no, 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 really like slow down. Tell me how you do that. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and so I took the time to explain how I had built this culture at the law firm. And uh, it was a culture of really, really high-performing people who loved what they did, who worked very hard, but were really into it and who were very cooperative and helping one another. And it was just this very healthy culture. And so I described to him how I did it. And he said, well, hey, would you be willing to come do this at Chipotle? 
you know, I'd love, I'd love you to come do this at Chipotle. And I said, no, I'm a lawyer, you know, mm -hmm. I, I'll stay here. Um, but over the next four and a half years, he kept asking me. And, oh, wow. Uh, wow. Yeah. And, and, and he sort of asked me with bigger and bigger jobs in mind. And eventually he said, why don't you just come run Chipotle? And I said, well, Whoa. <laughs> and, and I said, well, I don't know, you know, I love my law firm and I'm a lawyer after all. And, and he finally said something to me, he said, you know what, you say you're a lawyer, but really what you are is a leader. A lawyer mm -hmm. is what you're doing, but a leader is who you are, you know? And I wow. said, oh, wow. so I got to thinking about that and it sort of infected my mind. I couldn't stop thinking about it. Finally, eventually I said, okay, you know, maybe I'll give it a shot. And then Chipotle at that point was going public. And I realized that, um, by that time, McDonald's had owned a majority of the shares, and I didn't want to work for McDonald's. But once I saw that they were going to probably spend it public, I thought, eh, maybe it is a good time to go join. Oh, so wow. I joined it. But I said, let's not let's not have me be CEO. Let me join as president and COO in case I want to go back to my law firm. So we started that way. So yeah, so we started that way. It went great. And shortly thereafter, uh, I became his uh, co-CEO. Wow. So that's kind of the story how I came to be to be at Chipotle. So what would you say is the difference? Because there's a lot of good leaders out there. But mm -hmm. what makes the difference between a good leader and a great leader? Well, let me start by saying, you know, when most people think of leader, a lot of people are actually thinking about a manager. Okay, so yeah. let's start mm -hmm. by talking about what the difference between a manager and a leader is. So a manager is someone who gets someone else to do what they want them to do. Mm -hmm. Right. You mm -hmm. know, uh, so and usually that's done. And you think of it, you can just think about someone who's in a superior position saying to someone who's in a, in a quote unquote inferior position, you know, Hey, go do this, do that, do this, do that. And the person goes, okay. So a manager, a manager gets someone to do something that the manager wants the person to do, but a leader gets someone to do something that that person themselves actually wants to do, which also happens to be in the furtherance of the organization's mission. So that's the difference, right? So a leader gets you to do something that you want to do. Now there's, it doesn't just mean he gets you to do what you want to do, what you wanted to do coming in. But maybe if you come into the organization, the leader gives you a vision and starts to really talk to you about what it would be like for you to come into this organization, how it will help you achieve something you want to achieve, how it'll be exciting for you, how it can help you fulfill your dreams and aspirations. And then it gets you excited about that vision in a way that matters to you personally, but also matters to the organization. So it's about finding that sort of overlap, you know, of where the organization's goals and 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 the individual's goals have an overlap, you know, yeah. and so, yeah. you know what I mean? And so if you can find that, okay, <laughs> if you can find that place where you're, where, 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 where through your leadership, you can bring someone into an organization and say, hey, you know what? I really believe in you. And oh, and this is getting to the next big point. That's the difference between yeah. management and leadership, which really, which really is, and I'll give you the, the shortcut answer is love. That's the shortcut answer. But since that's sort of gushy, I'll go into a more specific. <laughs> um, but, but, but that's, you know, my book is called Love is Free. Guac is actually, mm -hmm. it's called, and it's yeah. called love, is, love is Free for this reason. But, but really, you know, another thing a leader does, a leader uh, always knows who they're leading. So you have to get to know someone. You have to care about them. You have to be willing to challenge them. You have to want them to be at their best. You have to have a vision for them. You have to see a place where they can go that will be excellent for them, but that will also be good for the organization. And so um, we, we all have to remember that, that, you know, no one has to follow it. Like, lead, lead, like no one follows. The only source of a leader's power is that others choose to follow. Okay. The only yeah. source of a leader's yeah. power is that others choose to follow. Now that's less true with a, with a manager, right? Because as a manager, you can say, look, come in tomorrow at eight o'clock AM, sweep that floor. You're going to fire you. I mean, you could say that. And the personal price show up at 8 AM and the price sweep the floor. They won't sweep it with a lot of love. They won't sweep it with a lot of conviction. They won't sweep it with mm -hmm. a lot of enthusiasm. They'll sweep it. And if you come in and yell at them and say, hey, you got to sweep faster, they'll probably sweep faster for a day or two until you're not watching. You know, <laughs> when, yeah. when you stop watching, they're going to not have a lot of enthusiasm about it, are they? If they don't feel you care about them, yeah. if they don't feel you matter, then they're not going to have that much enthusiasm. But what a leader does is a leader actually comes to really know and understand someone and actually gets in and, and, and brings their own vulnerability and their own capacity for presence and demonstrates to the person that there's, a, there's actually care there, that there's actually concern, that there's mm -hmm. actually empathy, that there's actually curiosity to understand that person. And then from a position of that, then the person starts to trust them. Oh, wow. Looks like this leader is gonna, can, has the capacity, the desire, and the concern and the care to take me to a better place. So I'm going to follow that person because they're going to take me to a better place. Why would you follow someone who you didn't think would take you to a better place? I mean, true. why would you do it? That's you wouldn't. True. You know, no. you wouldn't unless unless they threaten you and now they're back to management. 
So, so the biggest difference really is, is a mindset of the leader where the leader cares about someone, wants them to be at their best and really empowers them, um, you know, to, uh, to pursue a vision that becomes not just the company's vision, but the person's vision as well, a common vision. So what do you think? Do you think it's smart for a leader of, of an organization? Let's say that they've got this person and they would be the, the, the right fit. They got everything right. They got the right leadership skills. But you know their vision actually is bigger than your company. So you know you probably will only have them five years. Would it still be smart to bring them on to help you grow to that point? Sure, sure. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, I mean, there are a lot of people who we brought in Chipotle, <clears throat> you know, at entry level positions as, as uh, you know, cooks and, uh, you know, people are preparing vegetables and cooking them and, and working the front line. And a lot of these people had ambitions of becoming, you know, professionals or doctors or lawyers yeah. or accountants or school teachers or, you know, college professors, whatever. And uh, that's wonderful. Uh, you know, we were delighted to have anyone come on board who had the characteristics to be an excellent uh, representative of the company who, who could make great food, who could give great customer service. So I don't think that's a problem at all. <clears throat> you know, in fact, I think it's better to hire people who have, who are very ambitious, who are very motivated, mm -hmm. who are very, uh, you know, who have a lot of energy, you know, it's better to, you know, you don't want to hire someone, you know, I don't think you'd want to, um, um, you know, it's like if you were getting married, you wouldn't want to pick someone just because they're going to stay with you forever, even if they, you know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like, I mean when, you, when you find someone you really love, you're going to want to be with them, you know, and, and you, you want know, that passion, you know, you yeah. Get, yeah, you, you're going to want, you're going to want to, you're going to want to be with them forever. But, but it's like, it's almost like when you start getting together with them, you just start dating them, you start hanging out and you start loving your time with them. And you don't even know <laughs> the answer to that question right away, but you're going to go with it. You know, well, it's the same thing. If you're hiring someone in your company, if you know, you can't get them to promise you they're going to stay forever the first day. And, and if they did, they might be someone who's less ambitious, someone who's who, who has higher ambition. Another thing is, is if you get someone who might not stay with you forever because they're so ambitious, you might also they might also end up staying a long time because you might be able to create a culture that's so attractive to them and, and that promotes their growth and that makes them feel very satisfied. They might, you know, we had a lot of people come to Chipotle. They thought they'd come for a year or a summer uh, oh, wow. and, they, and they ended up staying 20 years. Cause like, I love it. I love this place. I love the culture. I love how I feel when I'm here. I love the teams I get to lead. I love what I'm learning about a business. I love that I'm able to be promoted up to the ranks. And so, you know, a lot of people came to us with the hope of maybe staying a month or two or three or a year or two or three. And they ended up being some of our uh, our future top executives, which is wonderful. Now, do you think that part of that has to do with your um, restaurateur program that you uh, created? Oh, a lot. Yeah, a lot. I mean, because that I mean, the restaurateur program was basically born out of this understanding that the restaurant general manager is the most important person in the company. Okay, that's where that came from. He's like, we have this whole organization, you know? Yeah, we have an organization of, uh, you know, at the, at the largest, when I was there, we had 75,000 employees. Of those 75,000 employees, about 2,300 were general managers, okay? But that general manager had the power to go and unlock a restaurant in the morning, go into it, prepare great food or not prepare great food, hire a great team or not hire a great team you know, treat their employees beautifully and well and in, empower them and inspire them or order them around and be a jerk. I mean, so since that general manager had the power to do all of that, they basically had full power over the entire Chipotle customer experience. You know, whether there was good food or not, whether we had good throughput and put people through quickly, uh, whether the environment was nice, whether the place was clean, whether all that stuff depended on the general manager. So clearly, if you had an excellent general, general manager in every restaurant, it was going to be a home run. I mean, everything else was going to follow, right? You're going to have more customers getting through the line more quickly, more happily with better food. And they're going to tell their friends, I'm going to get more sales and higher margins and higher profits and better share price. And everything else was going to take care of itself if you just had great general managers. But how do you do that? When I joined Chipotle, the problem was, guess what every general manager wanted? What do you think they wanted? Every general to get promoted out of the restaurant so they could uh -huh. go be an area manager. You know, they, they wanted a promotion. So they, I don't, I want to get out of the restaurant where I can oversee uh, six or eight or 10. Uh, uh, yes. So every manager wanted out. I wow. mean, how, how good a job would either of you be doing right now on your show? If you both wanted out. Yeah. Oh, we would, or even if one of us wanted out. Yeah. Yeah. If all of a sudden, <laughs> Sandy's like, I hate this, but I'll do it. And Chris's like, I hate it too. I hate it too. But let's just do it for a little longer. 
you know, it's yeah, like, I didn't think he would be like this with this, to be honest, when we first launched the show, we were audio. I didn't think, and you know, she was like, Nope, I'll never do video. Never. I'm like, I'm not asking you video because we started out as audio. Right. And now she months. can't, we can't imagine not doing video. We love doing the video. <laughs> it's nice, right? It's, it feels much more yeah. personal on you. Yeah. You feel a it deeper is. connection. You feel a deeper connection, which is really important to have authenticity, which is the only <laughs> thing that makes the show interesting, you know? Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, so where was I? Oh yeah. The restaurateur program. So um, when you realize that the manager is the most important person and you realize that the thing that's going to, the primary thing that's going to uh, make it more likely that they'll be excellent is that they really love the job and want to stay in it and want to master it and want to just do a terrific job at it. You've got to create a reason for them to want to stop in that position, love the position and realize that it's a big position. Well, the first thing you can do to make people want to stay in it and say, that's the most important position in the company. Okay, just by saying that yeah. And, yeah. and by acting yeah. in accordance with that, all of a sudden, like, mm -hmm. wait a minute, I'm in the most important position. This matters. Okay, that's number one. Number two, you, what we started to do is what I call bringing more gravity to the position. We made the position a bigger deal. We said, you know, any future leader in this company that's going to be in an executive position or oversee mm -hmm. tens or twenties mm -hmm. or hundreds of restaurants is going to have to come through having been a restaurateur first. So a restaurateur, oh, wow. so a restaurant, yeah. So a restaurateur is a was a general manager. Who had a team of all top performers who were empowered to achieve high standards. Now, these are magic words top performers and empowerment. So, at Chipotle, a top performer didn't just mean someone who was excellent at doing what they did. A top performer meant someone who was, you know, um, <clears throat> was uh, who had the desire and ability to perform excellent work and through their constant effort to do so, elevated themselves, the people around them, and the company. So break that down into its bits, because that's kind of long. Basically, a top performer is someone who did great work and made others better. So at Chipotle, we define top performer not as being someone who just did great work. That wasn't enough. You had to do great work and make others better, okay? Wow. <clears throat> so you couldn't, you couldn't just be a great podcast host, uh, co-host. You had to make the person next <laughs> to you better, right? You have to play off them. Right. Chris has yeah. to make Sandy feel Chris has to make Sandy feel comfortable and better and, and make her and make sure she's at her best. Sandy has to make sure Chris is at his best. Sandy doesn't feel happier when Chris is having a crappy day just because she looks <laughs> just because she looks correspondingly better than Chris that day. She goes, wait, a minute, wait a minute, Chris. I need you at your best. You know? So that's so a top performer is someone who doesn't just sit there and do the best they can. Like Sandy sitting there going, I'm doing a great job today. I don't care that Chris is totally blowing it because I look good. <laughs> so, you know, so, so that's not good enough, right? So you want to make each other better, just like you can tell the two of you do. You know, you care about each other. You love each other. You want each other to be at your best. Well, oh, that's, not, that's, not, that's not just true. That shouldn't just be true because you're a married couple. That should be mm -hmm. true. If you're a manager in a restaurant, you should want everyone in that restaurant to be a top performer and to teach them that, hey, we want great people in here, but not just great people, but great people who will really care about the other people on the team and work to make them the best they can be. So that's number one. Then you want to make sure that team is all, everyone's empowered. So empowerment, I had a very specific definition for empowerment too. And I'm very proud of the definition because it's very, <laughs> it's prescriptive and it really works. So here's what empowerment means. Empowerment means feeling, first of all, it's a feeling. Remember that's important. It's feeling confident in your ability and encouraged by your circumstances such that you feel motivated and at liberty to fully devote your talents to a purpose. So again, break that long def definition down to its, to its elements. There's two elements again. One is confident in your ability. And the other is encouraged by your circumstances. The problem with most managers and leaders is they spend all of their time trying to get people to feel confident in their ability through training, mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. That's actually the easy part, right? That's the easy part, oh. especially, <laughs> especially in a fast food world. I mean, how hard is it to make the tables look clean? That's not hard, right? Yeah. You just have to, you just have to wow. care. You have to care and you want to do it. It doesn't take you 10 minutes to teach someone how to wipe a table, but you could spend oh. your rest of your life trying to get them to and fail maybe because they might not want to do it. So how do you get them to want to do it? Well, you make sure that they feel confident in their ability and encouraged by their circumstances. Now, this second part is where you really make a difference. How do you make someone feel encouraged by their circumstances? Well, the answer is in what does a great parent do to their child? What does a great spouse oh. do? What does a great spouse do? To, exactly. So you start mm -hmm. by, and, 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 yeah, uh, yeah. Yes. So you start, so you start, but what does that love look like? I mean, what does love look like? What does real love look like? I right? can tell you what it looks like here with us. Um, I went through 19 years of addictions. Yeah. And the first five years of our marriage was it's, I was still in those addictions. And so Sandy went through really crap in those first five years. But in those five years, she never put me down. She never nagged me. She never did any of that. She loved me through those addictions. You know, sometimes people will kind of say, well, she lets you walk over her. 
And I always have to correct them that Snoshia actually allowed me to experience God's love through her. Wow. And that pure love is what ch- finally broke my heart down enough to change. And I've but, been sober but, now 13 years. Congratulations, Chris. That's awesome. And well done, Sandy. Awesome. I mean, that's, but this is a great example, but let me go in and pick at you a little bit to tell you that Sandy was doing a little bit more than maybe uh, one would think just from that short description. Not that you were, not that you were finished because I know you say a lot more, but, but what Sandy also, but you know, while she stood, stood by you through those addictions, it wasn't her desire that you just stay addicted forever either. She was, she was, she, her desire was to make you better. Her desire, she knew Mm -hmm. you could be better. She knew you could take better care of yourself and she was going to challenge you. Now, she might have done it with love and gently at first, but she was not going to stay patient forever. She was going to apply as much pressure as necessary to get Mm -hmm. you to change to be the best version of yourself. Okay. So, yeah. So, love isn't all about comfort. And this is what I always really want to stress to like, I talk about love, but I'm not like, it's not all cuddles all the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you got someone on your team or a child, you know, parents with children. I mean, if your yes. son or if your son or daughter walks in with a joint and a Jack Daniels at 15 years old, you know, uh, from coming over from the friend's house, you don't, you don't go, hey, man, you know, how are you doing? Have a seat. I want you to be comfortable. I love you. I mean, you you do love them, but you're going to be like, hey, wait a minute. Hold on. You got to correct them. Put that joint yes. down. This is not how I'm, this is not how you're going to be in this household. You know what I mean? You're going to, so, you know, empowerment means caring about someone being concerned about them, knowing them, understanding them, but also wanting them to be better, challenging them, wanting to see them mm-hmm. become the fullest and best version of themselves and not and, and not wanting to rest until you accomplish that. You know, so empowerment doesn't look comfortable all the time. Empowerment isn't cuddly yeah. all the time. Empowerment <laughs> is empowerment's loving, but it's tough. It's tough, right? And people right. feel, but people feel, what are the best coaches in the world look like? You know, well, they come in all shapes and sizes, but most of them have a very tough streak. Most of them have a very tough. And you only see the videos when they're tough. You know, the videos that go right, viral right. is always the, like, like, oh, yeah, you know, see them throwing, the, throwing the headphones down and all that stuff. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, so it's, but it's about, it's about not being able to stand it when someone mm-hmm. that you care about isn't doing the best that they can for themselves. So that's, so you have these, so you hire a team of all top performers. You teach them that to be a top performer is more than just caring about themselves, but caring about the people around them. And then you empower those people by, by getting to know them, which means sitting down and talking to them, getting to know them, understanding them, you feeling their heart and letting them feel your heart, letting them see your vulnerability. And this is where most leaders never get to be very good leaders is they're, they're always trying to be tough. And like, I know it all and I don't need help. And I've got, and when you are acting like, you know, it all, and you're mm-hmm. acting like you don't mm-hmm. need help, guess what? You don't draw towards yourself. You don't draw help. You know, yeah, I, mean, it's just I right. always need her help. Yeah, but, but but if you acted, but if but Chris, but if you acted like you didn't, if you said, "Sandy, I got it. Sandy, I got it. Sandy, I got it. Sandy, I know. Sandy, I know. I know. You don't, you don't need to tell me that. You don't need to. I, I got. I already know all that. I already know all that. I mean, eventually, you're not allowing her to help you. And guess what? That only that not only does that hurt you, Chris, it disempowers Sandy. Yeah, because she Sandy's needs that growth too. Sandy needs to be able to. Sandy wants to be able to give to you. Okay, she wants to be able to give to you, but she's not going to give to you if you if you don't. If there's no ability for you to receive it, there's no room, right? So again, another thing a leader has to do. Yeah. So a leader also has to expose themselves, expose their weaknesses. I mean, who would you rather work for? A leader comes in and goes, hi, guys. How are you doing? My name's Monty. I'm your leader. Okay, here's the way it's going to be. You know, or someone says, hey, I'm your leader. I'm trying to run this company. And guess what? I don't know how to do it all on my own. I need you and I need your help. We're going to come up with some solutions together to make this place better. You know, now I've got some ideas, but I'm going to want to hear from you guys because I can't do it all myself. Okay. We're a big company. We've got a lot of jobs to do. I need your help. Well, if you, if you, you know, if someone, if you say, if someone says, I really need you, there is a natural human inclination that that person to whom that said is going to want to give to you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just, I mean, let's just take a stupid example. Let's say you walk down the street and you walk by someone and you say, sir, what time is it? That person is 99,000 times. Well, let's tell you. They're going yeah. to say, they're gonna say, even if they're in a hurry, they're not going to say, I'm in a hurry and it's yeah. my watch. I didn't buy this watch for you. I'm in a hurry. Bye. You know, <laughs> they're going to say, oh gosh, it's uh, it's half past one. Oh, have a good day. Oh yeah. You have a good day. That's yeah, like sales people do. You know, when they walk in places, they say, I could use a favor. Hmm. And right there automatically drops down the guard says, yeah, what do you need? Perfect example. Perfect example. We all want to be of use. How do you make someone feel like they can be of use? 
demonstrate that you need them. I love so that. And, that's a huge part of leadership. And all that's in your book, ain't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. So in, in my book, I give, you know, there's a lot, a lot of very practical stuff. Um, I mean, for, I talk about philosophy. I talk about, um, you know, how I came to think the way I do, um, because a lot of people really wanted to hear that. But then I also talk about a lot of nitty gritty stuff about how to do it. I mean, how to empower teams, how to um, make sure that people are at their best and, and, and how to be a great leader and how to also go about growing as an individual. Because to yeah. be a great leader, you, no one shows up just as a great leader and they're done. It's a process. It's constant growth. It's constant introspection. You have to look at yourself and say, I've got to continue to get better. I've got to continue to be vulnerable. I've got to continue to make my, make myself, uh, you know, I've got to continue to deserve for people to follow me, right? Yeah. And, lead, and leaders don't get to be leaders forever. They're only leaders as long as someone thinks they're worth following. And mm -hmm. the only reason you're going to think someone's worth following is if you really believe, after looking at them and knowing them, they're, that they're going to take you to a better place, right? So you got to keep showing that you're going to take someone to a better place. And how can you do that? Well, you have to start by really understanding them and caring about them. And you also have to have a vision for where we're all going to go together and it's, that it's going to be great. And they have to yeah, it's but boils be down, leadership is love. Yeah. Yeah. You got to love people to lead them. And love isn't just cutesy and cuddly. Yep. Love is tough also. It is. It is. I love yes. that. <laughs> Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about your PBS docuseries that's coming. Oh, you know, yeah. Of unity, I love what you're doing with that because we're in a crazy time right now, and I think it's yeah. so important. It so tell us a little so bit about neat. that. Yeah, well, I mean, so when I was at Chipotle, I interviewed more than twenty thousand people one on one at restaurants throughout the country, oh, wow. and that wow. was just that was to do what I was telling you that a leader has to get to know people, understand mm. them, and form a deep connection. Well. I love that. That was my favorite part of the job. And it was very, very important part of the job that helped me be a very effective leader there and, and to, um, to help, you know, convince people that I was going to take them to a better place. Um, but uh, when I retired from Chipotle, I went and got my pilot's license because I had always wanted to fly. And then I got my instrument rating, which is the part of, it's another license that allows you to fly in clouds and in weather and above 18,000 oh. feet. Oh, wow. You can't go above 18,000 feet without an IFR rating, instrument, an instrument flight rules rating. Okay? okay. So I went, so I went and got that, that, uh, license as well. And then I bought a, a, an airplane and started flying around. And one of my friends said, you know what you ought to do? I said, what? He goes, you ought to take that airplane and your endless curiosity and get in that plane, fly around the country and interview people the way you did at Chipotle and just bring a camera and catch it on film because you have a way of really bringing people out and drawing them out and getting their stories. Oh, wow. yes. and, I, and I thought it was kind of like, you know, I thought, well, that's kind of, that's too simple of an idea. It's almost stupid. It's so simple. Um, but, I thought, <laughs> but I thought, but it also sounded like a lot of fun. And uh, I thought I'd learn a lot and, and maybe, and maybe really demonstrate the brilliance of the people in this country. Well, it surpassed our wildest expectations in that regard. I mean, um, we went to various parts of the country. We interacted with people from all different walks of life and we found just brilliance and incredibly beautiful people who had been through incredible struggle um, mm -hmm. and had risen above that struggle to do great things for themselves, for each other. Um, and, and, uh, you know, and really are, are helping our, are helping our people and helping our country. So extremely inspiring. And, uh, you know, really ha have been able to demonstrate through this episode. I mean, really showcase the wisdom and brilliance of loads of different people. And it's funny, I was showing one of these episodes to my mother. It was the last, mm -hmm. episode, last episode. And and after watching it, she was in tears, uh, you know, the whole time. I can't watch it without crying the whole time. It just, it, I, and it, all the episodes put me in tears because it's just this brilliance of these people. But she said, well, where'd you find these people? Like, oh, well, mm -hmm. Where'd you find these people? And I said, you don't have to look very hard. You know, I mean, brilliant people are everywhere in this country. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah. it's impressive. And it's not, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not the politicians and powerful leaders and executives of this country who are the impressive people. I mean, sure, some of them are impressive, I suppose. But just low, I mean, of the 330 million people in this country, I swear, it's like 300 million of them are probably really impressive. <laughs> I mean, and, I mean, and if you really get to know people and understand them, the, the incredible stories they have and uh, the wisdom they have to offer. And it's just really inspiring. And, and one of the things I learned most from the docuseries, if there's anything that I really take home, it's that struggle is an incredibly underrated and important thing in people's lives. Struggle causes people to grow 
and blossom and become strong and draw close to one another. And it draws the best out of people, you know? So we, we spend all our time, so much of our time in this modern day, in this modern society, like trying to eliminate struggle, don't we? It's like, we want a more comfortable couch. We want a snowblower instead of a snow shovel. We want to, I'm saying that, I'm in Colorado. What do you know about snow, you know, down there? But, I, but I've got, we got snow here. <laughs> oh, but you're in Florida, so God bless you. But, um, but anyway, so, but you know, people we're looking for ways to make life easier and easier, you know, and cuisine arts instead of, for, instead of a knife, you know, and whatever. We got lots of things. We're always inventing things to make life easier, you know, and iPhones to communicate and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But yet struggle, that which we run from with all our might, struggle is such a beautiful teacher and incredible. Yeah. Um, uh, it's an incredible. Where you find your gift. Yeah. Yeah. That's where people find their gift. That's where they, that's where they, that's exactly right, Chris. And, and so that's something that I think was really inspiring also is to, to see how people cope with, deal with, and grow from struggle. And uh, boy, they sure do. And, uh, and you'll see that in this docuseries. It's amazing. Uh, and you know, and you know learning all that, you know, it's funny because yeah, I remember earlier in the show, you were talking about how you don't know when you start at certain things. And that's how our show's been because our show started out as just the country music in, uh, up and coming country music artists interview show yeah and but if i would have been so focused on it had to stay there and not allowed because like you said you you know you're um that the guy told you that um you're not a lawyer you're a leader yeah. well i i realized that i'm not a country music interviewer i'm an up and close interviewer yeah. No matter who comes on, yeah. so it, so it, so instead of it being a country music interview show, it then became a music show, which then became an entertainment overall show. Where now we bring on even CEOs like yourself, and yeah, we had a yeah. on earlier, and it's broadened the whole base of our show that we never imagined ever. Well, that's that's wonderful. Well, you two are you're very warm, okay, and you're very you're very welcoming. You know, I feel like even though I'm thousand some miles away from you i mean I, I feel like you know if i you know if i walked into your home i wouldn't be shy to say can i have a glass of milk you know what i mean and Absolutely. so yeah so you're very accommodating and very warm and i think that draws people out okay so people can sense that immediately and it takes about a, a thousandth of a second and people figure that out and so i think that it's not it's not surprising chris just what you said about you know you're up close and personal guy and it's like people are drawn to that. People are going to open up to that. People are going to be give you a more interesting show because they can trust their hearts to you. And that's mm. exactly goes right back to this notion of empowerment and making and helping someone be at their best. And you know what? Look, what were we just talking about with struggle? And what were you telling me about your own addiction? I mean, what did you say? 19 years of addiction? Yeah. I mean, that you don't have 19 years of addiction without phenomenal pain, you know, without phenomenal struggle, without, I mean, demons, right? Mental demons. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, I mean, and so, wow, what a difficult journey. And then, and then along, you know, along comes uh, Sandy and I'm sure others who helped you, but along comes Sandy and really sort of finds you where you are, loves you where you are, embraces you where you are. And then, and then, and then sees that, wow, this man who I love needs help through a difficult time. And, but see, but saw your value, but so, he, but she saw your value while you were at your worst. She loved you while you were at your worst. You know, she wanted to be there for you while you were at your worst. And that's, that's an example. And then you went through that struggle and, and now you're at this place where you feel, I'm, you know, I can just see in your eyes, you know, you feel, I mean, obviously, in, in a wonderful relationship that gives you tons of support. You know, you feel full, you feel happy, you feel like you're doing something you really are passionate about. Well, that's, you know, the, the, the beautiful smile and the love that radiates from your eyes right now is from struggle. I mean, it's from your work through yes. hard times, you know, and you had to go through that for whatever reason. Right. And everyone has their struggle. I mean, none of us get away without it. Right. But I think the ones, the, the ones of us that embrace it the most and really work to get through it, I think can, can find uh, it, to, it will lead us to a very beautiful place. But I remember in 2010, probably the change of our marriage. Now, of course I got, you know, sober December 26, 2007, but our marriage was still struggling. And I remember 2010, we started going back to church and we started listening to a lot of marriage stuff. And I, and it hit me finally, she still has pain in her from those early years. Yep. So I remember sitting her down one um, in 2000, sometime in 2010, and I said, okay, I need you to tell me everything I did to you the early years and how you felt, and I will be quiet. I won't interject. I will let you, because I knew she needed this 
in order to start her healing process after what I did those first five years to her. Yep. And so, so I knew she needed that. And she was like, are you sure? Fasten yeah. <laughs> your seatbelt, Chris. Here it comes. <laughs> she was basically yeah. saying that. Yeah. Because yeah. about 30, 40 minutes in, I was sitting there questioning my head. You're like, like okay, um, halftime, halftime, halftime. <laughs> yeah, because I didn't like, have the stuff she said. I didn't, I, I don't remember, because I blacked out a lot back yeah. then. And so I didn't remember half the stuff that she said. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there like, okay, Chris, um, you just opened up a can of worms. But I also knew mm-hmm. that that sh- that God used her to heal my heart. It was now it was time for me, God to use me to heal her. So I had to I knew I had to listen. I knew that would be her starting point for her full healing. And yeah. that was very healing. That, yeah, that absolutely. changed everything. Well, you can't, and that's, but it comes down again to, you know, if you're going to empower someone and, and, and what Chris was doing, I think there was going, oh my gosh, I've got to, I've got to, it's my turn. I've got to empower Sandy. And so he can't empower yeah. you. He can't empower you unless, until he really knows you and understands you. And that's why I focus on those things so much as part of that definition of empowerment. You got to see someone, know them, understand them. And he can't really understand you if he doesn't understand what you've been through and what he put you through and the hardship that, that you faced as his spouse in those more difficult times. And, and, but as soon as you were allowed to say that, then all of a sudden you're like feeling, oh, now what might have been resentment is coming out and it's out there in the open. It's like the light of day. It's like the, the, the yes, healing, rays, healing release. Yeah. The healing rays of the sunshine on what otherwise was this fetid little tucked away thing that you weren't sure if you could quite put it out there. You frustrated, you know, it's like, but once you get it out there, now there's room to to see each other in a very authentic way. And, and, and that yes. love and love rushes in when authenticity is there. And, you know, talking about authenticity, I, I love that word because I remember when we first launched this show that I reached out to a Nashville friend of mine and I was like, um, what advice would you give as we grow our show? Yeah. And he said, whatever you do, be and stay authentic. He said, you could tell every Bobby Bones joke. You can tell every Ty Bentley joke. And he said, you might even be good at it. Who knows? <laughs> he says, but the day will come. When authentic Chris comes out and when that day comes, you'll lose every bit of your life. But if you stay authentic from the beginning, you, your show may grow slower, but you'll gain the right audience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I think that's right. I think the only thing I, I would just even, I think it's a great point. I'd almost re-raise that point by saying it this way. I'd say that nothing in this world is interesting that isn't real, genuine, and authentic. It's just mm-hmm. boring. It's boring. Yeah. And it's not real. And it doesn't feel, it doesn't stress. The most interesting things in this world are just the truth, you know, people's, yes. people's actual experience. And, and again, that's, what, and that's what, yeah. And in this documentary, that's what we get into is we just, we go find, this isn't a show that has a certain religious bias or a certain political bias. Yeah. I, I actually went out there with a desire to really get to know, understand, and bring out and learn from the wisdom of people going through uh, all sorts of different kinds of struggles from different walks of life, quite different than what I've, what I'd grown, grown up. Yeah. With. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was just going out with immense curiosity to learn and get to know people. And, and you know what, when you go out there into this country with huge curiosity and open heart and a loving heart and just want to know more, people really want to tell you. And when you put a camera on them, it honors <laughs> When you put a camera, you'd think they'd be all nervous. Oh, I don't want the camera. It's really quite the contrary. People are like, no, I oh, want wow. they feel so heard. They feel seen, you know, and mm-hmm. I always say that all of us. I always say that all of us want the same four things in this life. All of us want to be seen, valued, loved, and understood. That's what we really want. You know, it's the reason we buy big houses because we think maybe we'll be more seen, valued, loved, and understood a big house. It's why some people buy office buildings and put their name on top. They think that maybe that will come. People do all sorts of stuff. Most of it, not the right things. Most of it, not the most effective things. But, but people really want to be seen, valued, loved, and understood. And if you can help, you know, cause that, you know, and you're going to really help them with their personal growth and help them be more empowered in their life. And, you know, uh, you know and so that's, and, and uh, you know, this docu-series, uh, you know, I think that's the way people who we interacted with really felt, you know, they felt like, wow, someone really wants to know my story. Someone's curious about me and what I've been through. And, and so I yeah. want to share it, you know, and people want to share it because people want to help others and people want to, you know, be part of a, the broader collective that is the connected society that we live in. And see, I've always been the one that loves stories. You could, uh, oh, uh, yes. Yes. yeah. In fact, it's funny because, you know, we're doing the show now, but when you look at the 18 years of, that we've been married, um, so many times we'd be on the street <laughs> and we'd run into people. And I'm not talking about friends. I'm talking about strangers. Yeah, complete strangers. And if we're two or three minutes in a conversation and it gets deep a little bit, 
Sandy would know, okay, we're going to be there 30 to 60 minutes. No ifs every time. And she'd get so upset sometimes. <laughs> and, but I can't stop when I'm in the middle of it. And, 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 but I've, and I've done that thousands of times. And it's funny that we look back now and here it is. We got a show where we go 30 to 60 minutes and that's just, yep. and that's the average show. Yeah. Yeah. It was yep, preparing yep. you. It was all those thousands of times of preparing us for this moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's a beautiful thing when you get the chance to actually go a little bit deep with someone. And, uh, you know, right. I'm sure you have some shows where you're like, oh, wow, this is going deep fast. And you're like, other ones, oh, <laughs> this is going to take a minute. You know? Yeah, some is like, what's we funny do. is we had one show, I remember we had a guy and um, he, don't, he wouldn't mind me saying this, but, oh, no, but he was, um, we got in the middle of it and we were talking and, and he was like, okay, I'd rather stay to, on music. And I, I, I was, I said, you, you do know what our tagline is, right? On our show. He says, no. I was like, it's up close and personal. He says, oh. And then, <laughs> and then he made the comment. He says, you know, I've actually said more on your show than I have ever on any other show. I was like, okay, I've done my job then. Good, yeah. good, good, good. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, but that's right. I've had, you know, it's like, um, it's so, it's funny the the stuff that most people want you to ask them about probably won't be the most interesting stuff because they're trying to keep you in a box. It's like, you want to go plowing through that and get to what's real, you know, get to what's interesting. Mm -hmm. different. Yeah. Yeah. So and that's, Sandy yeah, has that's, a couple of questions too. Okay. Oh, yes. In your book, you talked about curiosity and asking great questions. Why is asking great questions so important? Well, thank you for that question. Yeah. So, I mean, I've found that questions are one of the most powerful, have been one of the most powerful forces in my life. I mean, so if you have a question of anybody and you ask it from a place of real curiosity, it's almost never offensive. Um, almost never, never offensive. If you actually ask it from curiosity. And so yeah. what's, what's really nice about a question is a question is an invitation for intimacy, right? So if you ask someone right. something about themselves, you're inviting them you know, you're, you're asking them to, because you want to learn something, right? Yeah, so your motive is important. Yeah. Uh, it's very, it's and, very important. and if you ask a question from your heart and I'm assuming when you say questions, you know, it's, it's, you're asking a question because you, you really mm -hmm. are trying to learn something. So when you really ask a question from your heart and trying to, and are trying to learn something from someone, you are actually putting yourself in a subordinate position. You're actually saying, I, I want something from you. Will you give that to me? And in this case, the answer, you know, um, mm -hmm. And, and, it, and it's an invitation for intimacy. It's an invitation to go somewhere with a person. It's an invitation for a relationship, you know? And so the first place I really learned this, Sandy, was when I was working at Dairy Queen. I, in the book I talk about, I talk about the time I was 15 years old. I was a cook at a Dairy Queen. We did the, you know, chicken sandwiches, fish sandwiches and burgers yeah. and fries and onion rings and all that stuff. So, um, so we, uh, uh, these people would come in, we were next to a mental health, a couple of me mental health centers at my Dairy Queen. And okay. so a lot of these people would come in who were um, uh, from the mental health centers and they were homeless. And sometimes they'd go to the mental health center for an appointment or two, or maybe get medication, but then they'd come into the Dairy Queen and they'd wrap themselves around a cup of coffee and just sit there with their coffee for a long time. And I was very curious. I was like, God, what, what are these people like? You know, why do they come yeah. Why do they sit here for three hours with a cup of coffee? Why don't they have somewhere else to be? What are mm -hmm. they doing here? What's important to them? Where do they come from? How did they end up being so interested in three hours and a cup of coffee? You know, <laughs> so, and you know, and, and, uh, you know, I was aware that there were mental health patients, most of them, but I was just really curious. And so I started taking my breaks and I would go say, Hey, may I, may I sit with you? And they're, yeah. like, wow. and they're like, well, yeah, sure. You know? <laughs> and then I'd sit down and I'd sit down with maybe a hamburger saying, Hey, can I get you a French fries or something? And they'd be like, Okay, and I'd bring in French fries, you know, mm -hmm. or a burger, whatever. And uh, and I would just say, so hey, so uh, I see you in here a lot, you know. So do you live nearby? And they're like, well, you know, right now I'm out of work and I don't have a home. And oh wow, what, wow, what's that like? I mean, is it? Are you cold? You know, are are you hungry? Um, and and they were just just from a few questions from this curious 15 year old boy mm -hmm. who actually wanted to know because I had a home, I had yeah. I had food, I had shelter, I I didn't have much to worry about as a 15 year old kid. Uh, your, mm -hmm. or at least my worries weren't life-threatening, right? Um, yeah. And and so I asked these people these questions, and what I found that instantly there was just this outflow of there was this rush of a desire to share with me and to take me into their lives and take me into their stories and tell me how they came to be this way and tell me that the pain they were experiencing and the heartbreak and the struggles they'd been through. I mean, it was like you know they say uh, opening a can of worms. I mean, there, <laughs> there, was, you know, there was so much that 
rushing out of them and in the stuff. And it was wonderful. And I learned so, so much from it, but I also fell in love with these people. And, and I'll tell you, fell in love with all, you can't, you can't not fall in love with anyone who really shares their true heart. I mean, that's the takeaway, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. why the book has the word love in it is because if you really spend the time to get to know someone and understand them deeply, inevitably compassion arises always, you know, if you're open-hearted and you're just curious and want to get to know them, you'll find compassion for their place in life, you know, and, and, uh, and then you'll, and, and of course, compassion is, is a very close cousin to just love, right? It's like, mm-hmm. if you bring, if you bring attention to someone without judgment, you know, yeah. if you're able to, you know, you might have initial judgments like, wow, this guy's smelly. You know, he doesn't look like he's had a shower in a while. His clothes are torn. You might have those judgments, but as a 15 year old kid, it's like, and, and, and I guess even now I just never, those judgments, were never judgments to me. They were observations, but not judgments. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very judgments. No, mm-hmm. no, hey, you know, your coat looks torn. It doesn't look like a very warm coat and it's cold out today. You know, I might mm-hmm. say that. that's yeah. not a it's an observation, right? That's from born from love that's and curiosity. That's different than saying, oh, the guy was dressed like crap. That's different, right? Yeah, um, very so different. If someone's smelling bad, it's like, hey, you know, I bet you it's been a while since you've had a shower. Can I help you with that? You know? So, yeah. so when you come at someone with just seeing where they are, authentically seeing where they are, I mean, so these people's eyes would light up and 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 they would come in. So each day as I got to know them, they'd come in, I swear, they'd seem a little taller. They'd stand a little straighter. They'd, they'd, mm. they'd make some better decisions. They're empowering them. Eating. They were empowered, yes, yeah. Yes. And, and so I learned that the, the way to empower someone, the first thing is to actually stop. And listen. Present, and listen. See them and yeah. listen. And, and what's listening really mean? Listening mean you care about them, right? Yes. You care about them. So anyway, so I, I, I learned this profound lesson in making all these friends uh, at My Dairy Queen. And that mm-hmm. lesson was that mm-hmm. people, want, people want more than anything just to be seen and understood and valued and loved. And once you do that, then you bring out the best in them. All of a sudden, they start to flourish and blossom. Because I believe strongly that all of us, I believe the whole purpose of our life on earth is to grow, blossom, and develop, and and basically get closer to God, to to to, mm-hmm. you know, to bring our relationship closer and closer to that thing which I call truth, love, or God, which I believe all three are the same thing, as you might have read. Yeah. Yes. So it's like, but you, 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 you grow toward, just like a flower grows towards the sun, you know, it grows naturally, mm-hmm. instinctively towards the light, towards what is good for it, right? So do we always grow towards what's good for us unless there is some dysfunction present. And when Chris, when Chris, for example, went into addiction and a difficult time, it's because there was some dysfunction present, some pain in his childhood, perhaps, or something that was unresolved or something that didn't, that, that, that made him feel an insecurity or an unwillingness to bear his heart or to be himself or whatever, you know, it's different but it, with everyone, but there's some dysfunction that gets in the way, right? Of all of us. It's not just, Yes. It's not just someone who goes to it. I mean, all of us have dysfunction that il- that inhibits our growth. And when another person can come to us with love and openness and help us see our own dysfunction, help us put it aside to move back towards a place of growth and blossoming, it's a beautiful thing. And that's really what leadership's about. It's what relationships are about. It's what all of us are about if we're kind of living our best life. Wow. Wow. Okay. I've got one more. And then I guess we can bring yeah. our little third co-host in. Yeah. What would you like your legacy to be? What would you ultimately like to be known for? I'd like to be known as being a person who united people, brought them together, and was some kind of catalyst in helping them to learn to love each other more. Uh, oh, very good. Definitely love that. Yes. Now, you know, as you know, you're only as good as the team around you. And That's- I don't think teams never get enough credit enough oh, love right. so in our show we always want that the person to talk about a little bit about the teams behind them mm, and you can even do. talk about betsy because we read about that she's fo- followed you all your careers yeah. so, yes. so yep. you can talk a little bit about her and other people while sandy go get she's some wonderful she was here this morning <laughs> uh, awesome so, so if you want to take a few moments to yeah. just talk about your team. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, well, okay. So, I mean, at Chipotle, obviously, my team was 75,000 strong. But uh, before that, at my law firm, I had um, my assistant, Betsy. And uh, so she was with me at the law firm for, oh, gosh, I think it was a better part of 10 years. And then wow. she came and she was with me at Chipotle for 13 years. And then after I left Chipotle, she stayed at Chipotle for a little while. And then when she left Chipotle, now she's with me again. So we've been together for, oh, gosh. You made an impact on her. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's funny. And I'm sure she made an impact on you too. Well, she, she did. I mean, she's just this wonderful person who, 
is, you know, she's just so trustworthy and so level-headed and stable, never freaks out. It was great as, it was, hello. Hi, Monty. So uh, what's your favorite food? What, sorry, tell me your name again. So what's your favorite food? What's your name? Oh, uh, my name's Christopher. <laughs> Hi, how are you doing, Christopher? I'm doing good. So uh, what's your favorite food? My favorite food? Yes. Well, I, okay. To be honest, it's maybe it's kind of boring, but I really love a good New York strip steak. You know, grilled, mm -hmm. grilled with some uh, maybe some some brown rice and a really delicious vegetable. They say green beans or asparagus or something like that. That's if you cook that just right, that's probably about as good as it gets. Oh, I love sushi though too. Sushi's really good. And so he's our third co-host because we are a family affair show. We yeah. let him oh. ask question, oh. a couple questions to each what's guest. Your favorite, what's your favorite food, Christopher? Pizza. Pizza. All right. <laughs> and he does love um, Chipotle too. Oh, he awesome. does. Good. We all, we all do. It's funny. We, we didn't really never try it until what, when was it? Uh, after we, we've done food delivery for, for like DoorDash and those. Like, oh yeah. And, 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 always and we always delivered for that. Mm -hmm. And we're like, we finally tried it. And now it's like, if, if we don't have an option, that's definitely our go-to option every time. It awesome. Is. Well, great. It. Good. I'm glad you like it. Well, you know, and it's 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 simple food with really good ingredients, just prepared with a lot of care, and it's and it doesn't get old, you know, which is nice. That's right. <laughs> and your next question? Uh, you got one more? Uh, um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, what's their favorite TV show? Oh boy, my favorite TV show. Hmm. Well, there was that one called The Blacklist. Do you know that show, The Blacklist? It I don't was, know uh, if ever saw it, but we have. We it. have. Yeah, that's so. That was that. Was, I was watching that for quite a while. I think I finished all of them, um, but that was probably my favorite one. Yeah, that was a good one. A long time ago, I used to like The West Wing, but that's so old now that I'm sure you've never heard of it. But <laughs> never heard of it. <laughs> SpongeBob. Oh, is that your favorite? Yes. Okay, all my kids. That was their favorite. I mean, I think I've heard every episode. Either I've been there for it, wow. I've heard it in the background. Yeah, they love SpongeBob. Um, there was, yeah, yeah. There was, I, I, there's so many parts of that show that stick out in my mind that were really, really funny. Yeah. yeah. What's been cool with our show is, you know, he watches a lot of Nickelodeon shows, and we've been able to bring five or six people from his shows onto our show. Oh no way! That's so cool. Oh, that's awesome. Good. Never yeah, I wish I'd have had that when I was little. You know. That's awesome. Yeah, that's so cool. Good for you. That, that must have been really fun, huh? Yes. What's your favorite thing to do? What do you like to do best? Oh. Like just to, just to like when you're playing around. Hmm. What do you like best? What do you like hobbies. Uh, video games. Video games. Yeah. You like video games? He likes to play with his little 23 month old sister too. He does. Oh, okay, yes. cool. Oh, congratulations. So you got a two year old sister. Wow. Yes. And uh, yeah, so video game. Yeah, my kids all like video games too. I can, They're too sophisticated for me anymore. When I was a kid, I liked them, but we had these really simple ones. It was like we had ones where there was like these two little paddles and this little ball that would go back and forth and you just whack it back and forth. <laughs> it was called Pong. Yeah, it would go oh, faster yeah. and faster and you couldn't do it anymore. And then, so the idea was just to kind of keep hitting it back and forth and longer than the other guy. Really simple. <laughs> we had simple games. Now Bye, some, thanks. Hey, nice to meet you, Christopher. Thanks. <laughs> so, but yeah, you know, he loves that part. He's been in almost every episode. You oh, know. that's awesome. Yeah, so we're, you know, trying to train him up here and, you know. Yeah, and sort of build his confidence there. He said he wants his own show someday. So. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Well, good for you. That's a really neat way to give him confidence. So as we come to a close here, what's some final parting words for people that are that maybe they're either in a leadership position or they're wanting to be a leader to kind of help guide them? Yeah, I guess I guess I would start um, from the premise that the only real satisfying thing that in life, I mean, the thing that the people who are most satisfied in life seem to do really well um, is to help in some way make other people better. And so I would say in a, in a leadership role, just start by trying to find a way to help others be at their very best. And if you do that, you're going to be very, very satisfied. And if you do it very well, you're also going to be um, likely to be successful in your leadership position, which means you'll probably do well in the other ways too, financially, spiritually, socially, and so forth. So that's one thing I'd say. I'd say also that for people who are thinking of starting a new business, you know, I think too many young people now are sort of have a goal of making a lot of money. And mm -hmm. I would say that if you have a goal of making a lot of money, what I have found to be true is that if that's your goal, most people who have that goal don't make much money, just to be blunt. Okay. Mm -hmm. I think if people have a goal of creating something really valuable, 
either a product or service that they think is going to be really cool that will help people or help animals or help the environment. And they push themselves towards that goal because they're very passionate about making that product or giving that service. Those people tend to make a lot of money because money wasn't what they were focused on. What they were focused on was doing something to be helpful. See? Yeah. So I think, I think mm -hmm. coming to that place of where your focus is really on, on sort of max, maximizing your ability to be a powerfully positive force in this world also is what tends to lead to making money and having financial security and all that stuff. And then once you have that financial security, you'll realize that while it is nice, it is not the most important thing. The most yeah. important th the most important thing is the relationships you make in this world, the way you touch people, the way you love people, and the way uh, you can help them be at their best while they hopefully help you be at your best as well. I definitely love, love that. that. You know, we really enjoyed having you on the show today, and we definitely look forward to having you back down the road. We well, do. Well, thank you both so much. It's been great to be here and so nice to get to know you both. Same here. Same here. All right. Thank you so much. Bye.